fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 101 of the podcast. Here's what we got coming up for you this week. Core Web Vitals are the the core technical indicators that Google uses to determine where your website's going to appear. We're also going to be talking about why you need to have more follow-up in your marketing and in your sales. Most sales are not made in the initial burst of contact. They're made through follow-up and there's lots of different follow-up you need. Some of it before you even speak to the prospect and much of it after you do. We'll talk about that later in the show. We've also got successful MSP owner Nick Moran back on the show this week. He's got a great book recommendation for you later on. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Problems, problems, problems. Doesn't it just sometimes feel like you're just there for other people to come and unburden themselves of their problems to try and make them your problems? And I don't mean clients here because that's kind of what they pay you to do. I mean your staff, maybe your partner, and I mean business partner as well as life partner, maybe even your family. They're just hitting you with problems. Now, the reason that people come to you with problems is because actually you're a good problem solver. This is one of the traits of being a business owner, isn't it? We can take almost any problem and we can find the solution for it. So all of those people that come to us with problems, they know we're a problem solver. And that's why they keep coming to us with problems. In fact, in that sentence I just said is the ultimate solution to this problem, which we'll talk about in a little while. Now, the challenge I believe is that when people come to you with their problem, they want to spend a few minutes describing the problem itself, and then they want to spend about 30 minutes talking about how they feel about that problem. Do you find that? You know, they'll come to you with the problem and then then the emotional stuff comes out and it's all about this happened and that happened and then this was a problem and that was a problem and it's all drama and drama and drama and drama. And you've got a couple of options open to you. You can either sort of cut through that and I'm the kind of personality that I would tend to do that, particularly if it's someone that does that to me on a regular basis. Now, I don't actually have many people coming to me with problems because of a technique I'm going to give you in a second. But when people do come to me with problems, if they're a repeat offender, then I will tend to cut off the emotional stuff and come on, crack on, let's get back to the problem in hand, which I realize does have an emotional impact on the people that I work with. So I try not to do that very often, only with the the very, very repeat offenders. Sometimes, when someone comes to you with a problem and they want to talk about how they feel about that problem, sometimes you just need to be a counsellor and you need to listen to them and and accept that they need to get this off their chest. They've got this issue. By the time it's reached you, it's just a big deal in their hearts and their emotions and they want to exhaust themselves. They want to let the whole thing splurge out. I think actually probably a a more effective way to deal with that if you're happy being a problem solver is to tell the people who bring you problems what the ground rules are for dealing with those problems. And maybe even you'd say to them, hey, did you know when you come to me with a problem, you often bring the problem and your feelings about the problem? We need to separate those two out. We need to deal with just the problem and not your feelings because I can acknowledge your feelings, but that will remove a whole stack of valuable time where we could be fixing the problem. I mean, that's one way you could do it. I think a better way really is to push the problem back onto that person. 
And that's what I do. And I don't just do it with my team, not that my team do this very often to me, but I will do this with my child, I'll do this with my friends, I'll do this with almost anyone where I don't have a clear mandate to help them in some way. If someone comes to me with a problem, let's say they say to me, hey, the so-and-so document isn't working properly. My first reply will be, what do you think is the answer to that? Because 99 times out of 100, they know what the answer is, they just don't have the confidence to actually take that answer and run with it, or they want to cover their own back by checking with the boss. A hell of a lot of that goes on in businesses all over the globe. Let's listen to that sentence again. What do you think is the answer? Now, there are times, of course, that people bring you genuine problems that they genuinely don't have a clue to solve. But for those people who are just coming for an endorsement from you, what you're doing is pushing not just the problem, but the mental burden of solving the problem back on that person. Because if you are one of those people that allows other people to interrupt them all day long with all of their problems, the mental burden for you is just huge. I'm only 47, but you know I have to guard my mental energy very carefully throughout the day, and I have a whole series of things put in place to stop people stealing my mental energy. In fact, it's happening to me in the evenings now. My daughter started big school. She's at what we call secondary school here in the UK, and she's gone from having an hour of homework a week to having what seems like two hours of homework every night. So straight after school, when she gets back, she normally gets into the house around about 4.30pm, and she'll have a snack, sit down to do her homework, and that's when the barrage of questions start. And I've learned very, very quickly not to do sort of high mental energy activities from that 4.30 to about 6 o'clock period. Otherwise, I'm just not getting anything done at any quality because I'm being constantly interrupted by someone who's got problems. And do you know what? The number of times I have to say to her, what do you think the answer is? And she's like, oh, well, I think it's so-and-so. And she's got the answer. But here's the thing. I'm not going to stop saying that. I don't use the exact words every time, obviously, because she would soon spot that pattern. But every single time where I can see she probably does know the answer, I just push that problem back onto her. I'm preserving my own mental energy and making sure her mental energy is the one that's being expended solving her own problems. You should do this with your team as well. It's a really hard habit to get into. But you know what? Try it today. For every problem that's brought to you, ask them, what do you think the answer is? Try it all of today. See how it goes. You might feel a bit guilty at first, a bit like you're not being very supportive. Actually, you're being more supportive by asking them what they think the answer is. You're validating them. You're showing that, yes, they probably have got the right answer, and you trust them to make a decision and take action. I'd much rather my team and anyone I work with made a decision and took action, even if it was the wrong decision. Because what would be worse than them making the wrong decision and taking the wrong action would be no decision being made at all. You know what? When you're surrounded by good people, 99% of the time they make the right decision and the 1% they don't, hey, we can go and fix that. It's very easy to fix. It's not like we're doctors or anything important like that. What do you think is the answer? Try it today, try it tomorrow. See if you could try it for a month. It could become a very, very powerful habit to protect you from other people's problems. Here's this week's clever idea. Most MSPs suffer from a problem called follow-up failure. 
This is where you either have no follow-up or very inconsistent and intermittent follow-up to your leads, your prospects, and the people that you've had sales meetings. You'll know that this is you if you are only doing follow-up activities to warm up your leads and to chase the sales. If you're only doing those some days and not other days, then you have a follow-up failure. Whereas if you're doing marketing activity five, six, seven days a week where you're following up with your leads, with your prospects, and basically there's marketing activity to remind them that you're around and that you are trying to build a relationship, then you don't have a follow-up failure, which is great. Because one of the core problems we have when trying to persuade someone to switch from their incumbent MSP over to you is that people only buy when they are ready to buy. To be in the chance of getting the sale, you've got to be in front of the right people at the right time. And in my view, it's kind of crazy to spend money getting a lead and then not follow up enough so that you're in front of that lead at that person at the point that they are actually ready to have a conversation. So here's what you should do instead and here's how to do it. Now, many people swap these terms around, but for this bit of the podcast, I just want to define the terms that I'm about to use. So when I talk about a lead, I mean someone who's taken the very first step towards buying from your MSP. It's a very low commitment step. Perhaps they've just connected to you on LinkedIn or they've been through your data capture and they're in your email database, but that is a lead. If there is a way for you to reach them and they're vaguely listening, then they are a lead. Now, when I talk about a prospect, I mean someone who's taken on another step. So they've shown a particular interest in talking to you and they've had some kind of more in-depth contact with you. Maybe it was a video call, maybe you've had a meeting or maybe, you know, there's some kind of quotational proposal out there. And of course, we all know what clients are. Clients buy Porsches. And yes, Justin, you can turn that one into a t-shirt if you want to. So this is a slightly simplified sales funnel, but you've got lead, which goes on to become a prospect, which goes on to become an active client. There is actually another stage, a couple of stages I've missed out just to keep this one simple. But what we're really aiming for is a bonded client. The bonded client is the one that stays with you for years and years and years because they absolutely adore what you do for them. Now, most MSP sales owner listening to this are the salesperson in the business. You may have some people working for you doing that, but the vast majority of our audience, I think, are actually the salespeople as well as being the owners. Now, if you ever do hire professional salespeople, you'll find that the very best salespeople in the world know that a great deal of their success is down to following up leads and prospects because they want to get in front of the right people and make sure they're having a conversation at the right time. So sure, these people are normally well-trained at how to run a sales meeting and how to listen properly and how to deal with objections. But really, it's persistence that pays off for professional salespeople. Selling is more to do with understanding what someone wants, what they need or what they fear than it is having clever tactics to use against them. And it certainly has more to do with following up prospects. And you've got to follow them up again and 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 again, this is the unsexy side of selling that most non-salespeople don't see. Now, let me give you some scary statistics. These are about professional salespeople, but they kind of apply to you if you're doing the selling as well. 48% of salespeople never follow up with a prospect. Never. That's insane. That's literally insanity there. 25% of salespeople make a second contact and stop. Only 12% of salespeople make more than three contacts. Hmm, 
Which do you think are the highest performing and greatest income generating salespeople? I wonder. And yet, despite the fact that only 12% of salespeople make more than three contacts, only 2% of sales are made on the first contact. 3% of sales are made on the second contact. 5% of sales are made on the third contact. Scary this, isn't it? 10% of sales are made on the fourth contact and a terrifying and huge and whopping 80% of sales are made on the fifth to the 12th contact. So you can see that the people who turn up more often are the ones who are more likely to get the sale. And come on, we all know this. It's not fun picking up the phone to someone month after month after month. But you know what? As long as it's for relationship building and you don't get sharp with them or annoyed with them and you don't apply unnecessary pressure, you are dramatically more likely to get the sale than anyone else because you turned up more often. Once someone has inquired to your business, you need to keep going back to them again and again and again, either until they buy or until they die or until they say bye bye, as in they don't want to hear from you again. And only a very small number will do this. Now, with your follow-up, whether they are leads or prospects, there are pretty much about four things that you're trying to do. The first is to maintain a long-term relationship because they don't know what they don't know, these people, and therefore they're not making cognitive decisions about which MSP to choose. They're making emotional decisions. So the more they believe they know you, the safer the choice you appear to be. The second thing is to never let them forget you. They've got to choose to forget you. The third thing is to be in front of them at the point that they're ready to buy. And the fourth thing is to segment your audience and target your offers. So a challenge to you, go and have a look at the follow-up within your business. Is it all sat on your shoulders? There must be someone you can delegate it to, or can you outsource it? You know I'm a big fan of hiring a back-to-work mum or mum to do your phoning for you. In fact, if you go back to episode 72 of the podcast, which was back at the end of March this year, that's where we talk about that very subject, how you can hire a telephone person to do this for you. But have a look at what emails are you sending out? What social media are you putting in front of people and especially what phone calls are you making to your leads and to your prospects. It's only by doing this consistently and persistently that you actually get the sales results that you're really looking for. Paul's blatant plug. 3,209 MSPs all around the world now have a free copy of my book on MSP marketing. It's called Updating Servers Doesn't Grow Your Business. And you can get your free copy posted to you completely free. If you're in the UK or the US, we will ship it to you at no cost to you. You don't even have to put your credit card in. This isn't one of those things where we're trying to get you to pay for postage. It's a genuine free book that we send to you. Why? Because we're trying to start a business relationship with you. Maybe you'll go on to buy something from us down the line. Maybe you won't. It doesn't really matter either way. But wherever you are in the world, you can get a copy. As I say, they're physical copies in the US and the UK. Everywhere else, we just send you a PDF. Get your free copy at paulgreensmspmarketing.com. The Big Interview. Hello, my name is Alex Robinson from Novus Digital. I've been the Managing Director and the SEO Director since we were founded in August 2019. And what started as a passion project for my bedroom has grown to a modest agency, but we are looking to grow fairly aggressively over the next year to two years and become a fully formed proper agency, let's say. 
And why not? And you're clearly good at what you do, Alex, because you are actually referred to us. And the weird thing is you live and your your business is based about three or four miles away from my marketing manager, James. And yet when he asked for a recommendation, somebody in California, which is what was that, about several thousand miles away, actually referred you. So, so well done. You're clearly making some waves in our world, which is just great. And we'll talk more about what your agency does at the end of the interview. I want to focus on something that Google was rolling out during the summer. And I want to, first of all, give the caveat that we're recording this interview early in September, about a month before broadcast. So there is always that chance that Google changes something or does something crazy in the the month it's taken us to to process this into a podcast. But tell us what it is that Google has just rolled out. So we've just seen the effects of the core web vitals update has hit over the summer, as you say, and this is an update majorly focused on the user experience and site performance side of Google and SEO. So what we've been looking at here and what we've seen for a lot of our clients, particularly those that are still knocking around with relatively old websites is they've seen a lot of disruption in terms of where they've been ranking on Google, in terms of perhaps they haven't streamlined their user experience, perhaps they haven't spent the time they need to to get the technical fundamentals of their site sorted. And uh, I won't bore you with the technical details, obviously, but um, maybe they've not spent the time they need to there. And it's caused a lot of upset. Most of that has since passed. Uh, They've finished rolling out the update end of August. So we are now in the clear for the most part. And by the time people are listening to this in October, the dust will have settled. But if you have seen drastic fluctuations in your traffic and your rankings over the last few months, then that's why. So let's go right back to what Core Web Vitals actually is. And I remember hearing about this around about a year ago. So it's, it's been quite a long thing that Google's been rolling out. Yeah, it has been a long time in the works. And we've had a lot of pre-warning about it. And Core Web Vitals are the, the core technical indicators that Google uses to determine where your website's going to appear on Google. And it's not quite as intimidating as it sounds, but it ties into the fact that they're now looking at how users are engaging with your website to determine where it should rank. So you may have the, the best built, the nicest looking, most backlinked website there is. But if people aren't engaging with that, they're not sticking around, they're not reading your content, they're not clicking buttons, then you are going to be affected by that and you're not going to see the full results. So this changes the way we need to build our websites and how we put content together. Now, if I'm right, there are three core parts of this. And, and I'm, I'm vaguely remembering now there's something to do with speed, isn't there? And there's something to do with the, the how annoyed you get with websites when things move around. And that, that particularly annoys me on my mobile phone. Yeah, exactly right. So this is big mobile centric. Um, Google has placed mobile first ranking factors onto everything for a number of years now as it is. And this is a further move in that direction. You know, all the time, the the percentage of traffic that is mobile based is increasing. So that mobile first focus is always growing. And that's a major part of it. How fast is your website loading on mobile? Another massive thing. There are various technical indicators that are looking at in their speed ranking that they take into account with that. And if you've got a ton of heavy file size images on there, then and your site's not loading particularly quickly, then yeah, you're afraid you are becoming a dinosaur. So can we go through the three things? Can you tell us what their technical names are and then explain them to us in normal human terms? Uh, <laughs> um, I can do. So yeah, the first one is the the... The web loading speed, that's that's the core focus of it to begin with. It's the, the loading speed, the interactivity, and the, the visual stability of the site. So the first one being the largest contentful paint, LCP. That is how fast are, are the various different aspects of your website loading. And there are various different cheats that you can do around that to make that appear to load faster. 
Um, so without going into too much detail, for example, if you were to go onto a website, you may have the, the title and some of the text load first. That's cheating Google into thinking that you're actually, the website's loading, whilst in the background, you're loading content further down the page. Those images are still loading in, but because the user isn't seeing them yet, it's all working in the background to make the website appear like it's loading faster than it actually is. And that's a way to get through fairly visually heavy content, get it onto the website in a way that isn't going to affect that. Second focus being first input delay, FID, the interactivity. How long is it taking people to engage on the website? What, what is it they're doing there? What is it that we're waiting for in terms of, of them coming on? Is it for them to click on a button, for example, to see more information? Is it for a form fill? Is it to click on a phone button to ring you up? It entirely depends. And then there's the CLS, the cumulative layout shift, the visual stability, which again comes back to how, how is the website presented? How is that content along the website presented? How are people engaging with it? Are they having to scroll for miles and miles through the content in order to get to the, the most important part of it? Hopefully that made some sense. It did. It made perfect sense. And I'm hoping this changes the way that we consume news. I don't know about you, but when I'm, you know, if I take a 10 minute break and I flick through sort of stuff on my mobile and, and often I'll find myself flicking down an article because there's, there's just too much, too many adverts in the way or things are moving and whatsoever. And it sounds like some of the sites I'm looking at, which I'll, I'll be honest, are mostly sci-fi, Marvel movie sites, that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, it sounds like that's, that's my down, that's my downtime. It sounds like the, a lot of these sites are going to have to make quite a lot of changes to to keep up with with this what's the next thing alex what what do we think google is going to come up with next because they seem to change the game every i don't know what every three to four years yeah i'd actually argue it's maybe more often than that it's more yeah every one to two years there'll be a major update so we've we've just weathered this one and i think the next one's going to be more focused on link building so link building is one of the staple columns of seo now for well since its inception and it's gone through various iterations um, that affected so many websites that were practicing black hat link building techniques and they're only refining that as time goes on so i think the next stage will be further devaluation of links. I don't think they're ever going to fully cut it out in terms of a metric that they use to determine whether a website is fit for purpose or not. I don't think they can. I think it's so tightly wound into what they do. But I think they're going to be looking at, okay, well, what links are actually providing value and only really placing the value on those links that are news articles, for example, incredibly relevant topics, all the things that... Traditionally, we've been told we should be focusing on, but as SEOs, we can from time to time create artificially. And I think they're going to be really cutting down on that moving forwards. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. One final question for you, Alex. If you assume the average MSP hasn't done a great deal of SEO optimization for their website, so they've got a site and it says who they are and what they do, but they're not adding a huge amount of content, which in my experience is around about 70, 80% of MSPs, what would you recommend are the first steps to start to optimize your site and ultimately get more organic traffic? I think the most basic step, and maybe this will come as a, something of a relief to people listening, is that the, the first step isn't actually the, the most difficult one to take. My first bit of advice would be to determine what it is that people are searching for. And across the MSP industry, it, it is fairly generic. It is things like IT support, cybersecurity, things on those lines. Determine the target area that you want to focus on. So if we're talking about ourselves, we may be looking at cybersecurity Milton Keynes, for example, or cybersecurity Kettering, and building pages around that content, not in a horribly artificial way, but focusing in on, on that content, creating content that would be relevant for people searching for IT support Kettering. What is it that they're looking to land on? Well, they're obviously looking for a local company, 
And if you're based within that area, then you can deliver that. And they're looking for more information around what's involved in your IT support services. So maybe include a little bit more information about first line, second line, third line support, and all the various different offerings that you give as IT support to those businesses that they'd want to see. And that that content could be as little as four to 500 words. Um, again, on a nicely optimized landing page, that's getting the most important thing now, make sure that the page is laid out nicely with lots of calls to action, getting people to engage. But that would be my first step. And potentially one that wouldn't necessarily take that long, depending on how many areas you service. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Alex. Tell us a little bit more about Novus Digital and how can we get in touch with you? Okay, well, you can get in touch with us from our website, which is www.novus.digital. No.com, no.uk. We just simply went for .digital. And as I said, we've been going two years now, which in the agency space is... It doesn't make us an old player, but it certainly doesn't make us the new kids on the block either. We've found our feet with various different things. And as I said at the start, we're actually an agency that was formed in my bedroom. It's something that some people may be embarrassed about. But for me now, looking back, I think, well, actually, I'm, I'm proud of where we've got to as now a team of seven. And now that's all set in stone, it's, it's time to actually start picking up some of those clients and showing them what we can do. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hi, my name is Nick Moran from PowerNet in Australia. And the book I recommend is a book called Legacy by James Kerr. It's a book about leading a team or an organization, but more importantly, about leading the life you want. So go out, get it. It's fantastic. Coming up next week. Hi, I'm Liz Wilcox. And in next week's show, I'm going to talk all about email marketing, how to write a newsletter in less than 20 minutes, and how to get people to actually open and take action on it. I cannot wait. We'll also be talking about prospects and expanding on something I mentioned earlier in today's show. I said that they don't know what they don't know. And in fact, I destroyed a piece of personal property of mine this week. It was a great reminder of what happens when you don't know about something and how you can have a complete misconception, you can make a silly mistake, and you don't even realize that you've done it. I'll tell you what I did and the marketing lesson from it next week and how it can help you to understand exactly how your leads and prospects are thinking and feeling. And if you need more leads, the other thing we'll be talking about next week is how to go from nothing to your first 100 leads. If you literally have nothing right now, maybe because you're a newer MSP or maybe because you just haven't been doing marketing for a while and you haven't really got a lot to get started with, I'm going to take you through a process to go from zero leads to 100 leads. We'll be doing that in next week's show. See you then. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.